Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Good morning, everybody. Hey, maybe you find yourself today in a decision dilemma. You're trying to figure out some things. Do I do this? Do I do that? Um, I don't know what it may be for you. Do I go to this college, that college? Do I join the military? Is it this major, that major? Do I date this person? Do I marry this person? Do we, do we sell our house? Do we buy this house? Do we rent for a while? Do I take this promotion? Do uh, we move for this job? Do I start pulling out social security now? Do I wait a little while longer? Do I get a second opinion on this problem? Do I have this surgery? Do I help this family member? Where do we send our kids to school? Just all these different big decisions. And then with those decisions uh, comes a whole nother set of feelings and questions like, is God leading me to do this or is this my own desire? Uh, Does God have an opinion on what I decide here or does, does he not? Do I just choose? Like, does God have a will for my life? And if so, how do I recognize his will? And so today we launch a series called Tough Choices, How to Make Godly Decisions. Uh, my name is Ryland. I'm so excited for the opportunity to speak on this, prop, on this topic, especially to a group of people who care about making godly decisions and care what God's will is. Because uh, many people just flat out do not care what God's will is. They say, I wanna do it my way. And too many of us just want want to do our will and want God to bless our will rather than submitting to the will of God. But let me tell you, it's the best thing you could ever do in your life. I mean, the peace that it brings is absolutely amazing. So this series is about aligning our decisions with God's, with God's will. It's so interesting the things that people do to make decisions. I don't know what you've used to make a big decision. Anybody flip a coin for like a major decision before? Some people read tea leaves or fortune cookies or interpret their dreams or horoscopes and astrology and numerology and maybe you wouldn't do any of those but you look into popular culture for guidance or Uh, I'm amazed how many Christians will use circumstances, their circumstances, to what God wants them to do. Circumstances are a very unreliable source of guidance. Uh, You can't determine God's will for your life by circumstances. Ah, must not be God's will. I go to church today. I woke up late. (laughs) Must not be God's will that I get to the airport today. There's traffic today. Like, we examples in the Bible of this, you know, Jonah runs from God. God, God gives Jonah God's will for Jonah. Jonah runs, and he goes down to Jaffa, which is the seaport, and there happens to be a ship leaving, which is a big coincidence, because it's not like you go down to KCI today, miss a plane, there's another flight in an hour. It might be five, six months for there's another boat that's leaving, going where he wanted to go. And so he goes there, there's a boat, he's got money, they'll take him on. Could, he could have said, God's will for me to go to Tarshish. Look at this, look how it's panned out. 
But no, that's so you can't go by your circumstances. What else? You could get counsel. Counsel's good. It's one element of it, but you risk getting bad counsel. Like, I don't know about you. People give me bad advice all the time. Like, <laughs> some say, like, trust your gut. Uh, my gut gives me wrong advice all the time. Like, I got stories of I've almost died following my gut, okay? So what, what can I rely on? Here's what I believe is the best way to do this. Today's um, sermon is more theological. And then we'll get into, uh, into the series, into the very practical. Like, I just wanted to get so practical in this series. We're going to have a week of like, here's the questions to ask. Here's the goals to set. We'll get very practical on how it relates to our decisions and what to do with, as they relate to your money and relationships and your life choices. But let me give you the theology first. In the Bible, in the New Testament, one of Jesus' followers wrote this in the book of James. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and make money. In other words, listen to you who have a will. Those of you who have a will, who have a plan, who have a way, uh, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Like you don't know what's going to happen. What is, he goes on, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So what is your life? So you thought your life was all about who to marry, what profession, what promotion, what school to go to, what sport to choose, where to live when you retire. No, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So those are really all temporary questions. They're good questions, want to make godly decisions, but they're temporary things. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, I want my desires, I want the temporary choices that I make to line up with an eternal will of God. I want to be submitted and aligned to the will of God. We wonder, well, is God's will broad or is it specific? Like, is there just one person to marry or is it left up for me to choose? And uh, here's how I love teaching this. God's will has a zone. And that zone is framed by two borders. It's like the goalposts of a soccer goal. It's like the goalposts uh, in, in a football game. Uh, it's like two sides of a fairway in golf. It's framed in by the rough, but there is a fairway. And in the rough, it's rough. In the thicket, it's hard. It's tough going in there. But when you get into the fairway of God's will, when you get within these two boundaries or borders, it's much easier. So God's will is framed by these two sides. And one of them, if you're taking notes, is the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God is what God is doing on the earth. Simply put, it's God's works. God's will for our lives is never outside of God's works. It's never into the rough outside of what he's doing and accomplishing on the earth. God has a will. We want to know our, God's will for our lives, but God's will for our lives is never outside of uh, God's will for God and for existence. God's sovereign will is sometimes called his hidden will. And it's sometimes called his hidden will because we often don't understand or know 
uh, we're unaware of this aspect of God's will until all the decrees have taken place or until that dispensation comes to a close. It, it is sovereign in that it shows God to be the sovereign ruler of the universe who ordains everything that happens. Nothing outside of God's sovereign will. For example, biblical example of this, it was God's sovereign will that Joseph in the Old Testament be taken to Egypt, be in Pharaoh's prison, interpret the king's dreams, eventually save his people from famine, and, and end up being honored by all. I mean, we honor Joseph to this day. At first, Joseph and his brothers are completely ignorant of God's will in all of this. But every step along the way, God's plan is becoming clearer and clearer, and he's using it for good. As they meant it for evil, God is using it for good. So one of the easiest ways to begin understanding God's will for my life is to understand God's sovereign will, his works, what he's up to. Jesus taught us to pray this way. In the Lord's Prayer, before you even ask for your, your needs, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I want to align my life with what you're doing on the earth first before I even have this specific request for me. I need to know your sovereign will. We'll come back to this, but let's talk about the, so that's one side of the fairway. Let's talk about the other side of the fairway. The other border or boundary of the will of God is the moral will of God. And that's what God has already said in his word. It's God's ways. This is, so if the other is the hidden will, will of God, this is the revealed will of God. And we've got to align ourselves with what God has said. He'll never have anything for us that contradicts his word. God does what he says. He means what he says. He's a God of his word. Most of God's will for your life is already revealed. That's blowing my mind. I said that last night. Someone in the service goes, no way. It's like, yeah, way. Most of it's already revealed. It's in the Bible. And as we read God's word, he speaks to us. It's not mystical. It's not some seance or something. No, how does the Bible direct us? It directs us through principles, through examples of people in the Bible, through commands, through promises. Some people will say, well, I just had this impression that I was supposed to do something. The Bible says don't do it, but I had this impression from God. Well, don't do it. God's not like that. He doesn't say one thing and then mean another, do another. He doesn't contradict himself. In fact, that's how a lot of cults get started, is I got this impression, it doesn't agree with the Bible, but um, it was just, it's really strong impression, or they'll take one verse, and instead of interpreting it with the rest of God's word, they just go with their impression of that one thing. But anytime we get out of the moral will of God, out of God's ways, it's no longer important to ask. At that point, you're, you're off in the rough. And I've been there. And off in the rough, I'm trying to figure out who to marry, what to do, where to go, when really I need to get back to the fairway because it's a lot more clear and understandable what decisions to make there. I just need to get into the zone, the frame and the fairway, the goalposts. I need to focus on God's ways. Then I can find, if you're taking notes, the personal will of God. And that's what God desires for my life. And it's what, that's what many of us refer to when we're talking about God's will. And let me tell you, what God desires for your life is more fulfilling than whatever you have planned. We could bring up person after person in this room 
on the stage who would tell you, you know, God's ways may have seemed constricting at first, confusing at first, didn't make sense, but they were more, they would tell you, there's people in this room that would tell you, man, it's more fulfilling, it's more free, they're more free in their life and their relationships than they could ever experience from living life their own way. Can I get a better amen, somebody? And here's the key, here's the key to pulling all these three, these things together just a statement that kind of draws this all in, is that the more I get to know the sovereign will of God, the more I get to know the moral will of God, the better I will discern the personal will of God. That's why we use a a map and a compass for the graphics in this series. Like, I've got this wilderness in front of me. Uh, I'm out here in the thicket, I'm out here in the woods, I need to get back to the fairway, I want to get back to the, I got a place I want to go, and, and I don't know what to do, God's given me this map and this compass, if I put them together, if I work with them, I can get a bearing for me, I can discern God's will for me to get back to the center of God's will, and God's personal will for your life is found only in God's ways and God's works, you will not find it outside of God. You won't find it outside of his ways and works. So how do you get there? I think there's two questions to ask that help you get in this zone. Simple questions. But um, when we ask them, it's powerful. And one of them is this. What am I doing that I really need to stop doing? I should not be doing that. And that's a question that will help you align yourself with the moral will of God. That question gets you into the safety of God's ways. I think we should ask this question regularly. Uh, we should ask it frequently. And I'm amazed how God is faithful. Like when I come before him, I say, God, what am I doing that I should not be doing? Can you point to an area in my life? And inevitably, he points to an area, and it's, okay, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, all right, all right. That's, you, God, you answered the question, thank you. And then the other question is just the inverse of that, of what am I not doing I need to get to doing that I should be doing? And that question will help you align yourself with the sovereign will of God. Gets you into the significance of God's works. Because then God's will and my will can coincide. The key to understanding God's purpose and plan for your life is to to begin doing what you already know to be the will of God. You start with what's already there. And as you begin to do the moral will of God, you begin to trust the sovereign will of God. You know who are the people that are just at perfect peace uh, today? It's those who are following the moral will of God because as you get in God's ways, you begin to just fully surrender and trust that God is sovereign. That God, this looks crazy to me, but I believe you know what you're doing. And, and you've, you, you've come through so many times before. And so God, I'm, I'm trusting you. When you get into God's ways, you trust God's works. And then you begin to discern the personal will. And as you begin to act on the things that are very clear and plain, you begin to understand the things that are not so clear. Mark Twain said it this way. I love this. It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. That's what's bothering me. And God says you start with what you already know to be God's will. And then we can get to the other details. So that's where we're going to start in the series, of course. That's where God begins. And uh, are there some things that we just absolutely know are God's will for our life? Is, are there some things that the Bible says, hey, you don't even have to pray about these. This is God's will.
Yes, several times in the New Testament, the phrase, this is God's will, is used. So I just want to look at a handful of those today of what's God's will for your life? What's God's will for my life? And the first one I want to pull out is, from, is a quote from Jesus, and it's this. This is God's will for my life. Number one, that I have eternal life. God doesn't want this, this world right now, he doesn't want this to be the best that there is for you. There, there is heaven and there is hell, and he wants you in heaven for eternal life with him. How do you get there? How do you have eternal life? Through being good, through going to church, uh, through serving, through giving. Jesus says it in John 6, 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. How do you have eternal life? Uh, Through being good enough, through tipping the scale, uh, through uh, attendance, through giving, through serving, through something that you do? No. It's through looking to the Son and believing in Him. That's the starting point. If you haven't settled that, go ahead and settle it. Fulfill God's will for your life by placing your faith in Christ. What's another thing that the New Testament says is God's will for me? Number two, it's God's will for my life that I am filled with God's Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with His Spirit? Well, when you became a Christian, whether you realize it or not, God put His Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, he produces things in your life that you yourself in your flesh could not produce. So, like, your works aren't going to produce salvation. God's Spirit produces that in, in you. God's Spirit produces what your flesh could not produce. The Bible talks about that, calls, being, calls it being filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk. He says, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. What, what, is, what does it mean? Just think about this for a second. What does it mean to be drunk? It means you are under the influence and control of alcohol. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means you are under the influence and control of God. He's the director of your life. He's the Lord of your life. When you're drunk, when you're high, the substance becomes the director of your life. It directs your emotions. It directs your perspective. 
It's the Lord of your life. He says, don't get drunk. Don't let anything else influence your life. I mean, really, whether it's liquor or getting high or anything, but be controlled, be under the influence of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And it's God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit. Now, before we write in number three, the, uh, another thing from the New Testament that says it's God's will for us, let's look at the passage. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. And it reads, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a, and then brother or sister here, is, it's talking about the family of faith, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. What is God's will for me? If you're taking notes, write this one down. God's will for me is that I live a pure, disciplined lifestyle. Uh, the verse says, it's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Is God saying avoid sex? No, it's not what he says. I mean, who do you think created sex, thought up sex? God did. Sex is not dirty. However, sex is holy, meaning it is to be set apart. And we all can recognize that, that sex outside of the context of marriage can cloud our vision it can distract us from God's will. It can cause worry, self-esteem issues, uh, disease. I mean, those things are not God's will for your life. God loves you much more than that. I mean, those are just some of the physical, emotional ramifications, not, let alone the spiritual ones God talks about. And God loves you much more than that. Now, you might say, well, I'm not going to go to bed with anybody else but my spouse, or I'm going to wait for a spouse, but would, would you read about it in a book in all its gory details? Would you go to a movie that condones and glorifies a, a, a lifestyle that's out of God's will? God says he wants us, it's his will for us to live a pure and disciplined life. The verse says, control your own body in a way that is holy. Really there, it's talking about all of our appetites. It's God's will that through the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of, of the Holy Spirit is self-control. That I have self-control. That I don't just give in to anything that I like to do. That I'm not controlled by my cravings. That's God's will for my life. That I have eternal life. That I be filled with His Spirit. That I live a pure, disciplined lifestyle. And then let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 14. It says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, so you're living this pure, disciplined lifestyle and you begin to suffer for what is right. You are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Here's number four. It's God's will for my life that I suffer at times for what is right. So First Peter is written... Uh, to people who are under, living under the emperor Nero. It's horrible. They're being ridiculed for their faith. They're being mocked. They're being persecuted. They're being fired. Uh, they're going hungry for doing what was right. And friend, you, there will be times in your life where you're, you'll be under pressure. You'll be under pressure from uh, leaders. You'll be under pressure from peers, 
to steal, uh, to lie, to gossip, pressure to look at certain things, do certain things. And sometimes when you say, sometimes when you say, you know, that's not right. Sometimes when you say, you know, that's not God's will for me to do that. It's not God's will for me to talk, to talk about this. Uh, sometimes people are going to look up to you and they'll appreciate it and they'll love you for it and you'll be honored. Other times you will be ridiculed. You'll be thought less of. You may lose a relationship, a job. You may be persecuted. You may suffer in some way for it. It's better, or let me ask this as a question. Do you think it would be better to suffer for stealing or suffer for doing what's right? Would it be better to suffer for gossiping or for uh, maybe you don't join in and then they think less of you? Which one do you want to suffer for? And you can bring examples big and small to your mind, but Peter's encouragement is don't, don't suffer in life for the wrong reasons. Like we're all going to face suffering in life is it from the right things or the wrong things? And so I'm just going to let Peter finish the teaching on this point for us. More on suffering from Peter now in chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Like you, you count when you're insulted that way, when you're cursed at because of the name of Christ, man, you weren't really cursed at, you were just blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear the name Christian. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It is God's will that I have eternal life. It's God's will that I'm filled with his spirit. And it's God's will that I live a pure and disciplined life. After I do those things in God's will, uh, that means that I may suffer for doing God's will. And that's okay because it's making me more like Christ. And because of that, it is God's will that I do this next one that's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Let's read this one out loud together. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's number five? Number five is that it's God's will for me that I maintain an attitude of gratitude. You want to know God's will? Simple. Pray about everything. Be joyful all the time. In everything, give thanks. Give thanks for what I'm in right now? No, it doesn't say for everything gives thanks. It says in everything give thanks. There's a big difference. I mean, why would God, God does not expect you to be thankful for cancer or for leukemia or to be thankful for an accident. Uh, it doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in everything give thanks. 
Why? Why should we be thankful for everything? Uh, Because God is very clear in Scripture that He's using these things to conform us into the character of His Son and that He's working all things together for good. That God can take even the time that was spent off the fairway, out wandering in the woods and the wilderness, and He can redeem it and He can use it for good if we'll be called according to His purpose, if we'll get back into Christ being at the center of our lives. We can give thanks in all things because God turns crosses into resurrections. God takes even the mistakes, the errors, even the problems we bring on ourselves and he can redeem them. He can use them for good. Scripture says he uses all these things to make us like his son, to make us like Christ, to build our character. And if God's going to make you like Jesus, friend, that means you're going to go through some circumstances and experiences that Jesus went through. There were times Jesus was lonely. There were times when Jesus was tempted uh, to be depressed, to, to be angry, to be fearful, to be worried. And God will use even the mistakes, even the problems for good. And so don't, don't buy into the idea that I'm missing God's will for my life because I'm suffering. I'm missing God's will for my life because uh, I, I'm experiencing some anxiety or some depression or I'm missing God's, exp- God's will for my life because financially things aren't going well right now. No, 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 that's not, you haven't lost God's favor just because you might be suffering and then we can come to God and give thanks in all circumstances because man, God, it's something that seems totally horrible to me. You can work out for good. So what is God's will? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Friend, you didn't hear this in the media this week, but can I tell you, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. The Lord is good and his mercy is new every morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to Him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to Him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. He remembers us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Would you pray with me, please? 
I just want to lead you through a couple minutes of prayer here. One of the best things you can do is surrender your life to the will of God. And I, I know that uh, to some, that just sounds so harsh. Maybe to you that sounds so harsh. Like, give up my will for God's will. I give up uh, my life and my plan. Like, all the things that uh, I am, and he may use them, may not. I don't know. I'm just supposed to surrender it to him. Uh, but there is peace on the other side. And the most wonderful thing you can do is put your life in his hands. Salvation is when you surrender the control of your life to him. Not my will, but your will be done. And today, if you'd like to surrender your will to the will of God, maybe you've never believed in Jesus for who he is, what he's done. Uh, you've, you've never received God's spirit in your life. Uh, you've never even uh, looked into what it means to uh, live a godly, godly life. But if you want to surrender your will to the will of God, I encourage you, do not leave here today without doing that. For some of you, uh, you believe in Jesus for salvation, who he says he is, uh, but you have uh, withheld things from God or you've taken some things back under your will. I just want to pray for you right now. Just join me in your heart and mind. Say, Jesus, today, I totally surrender my life to your control. I want to learn what it means to trust you. And thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for forgiveness. With all that I have, all that I am, I want to follow you. I give you my life. God, I give you my life. You are my creator. Lord, I thank you for everyone that is surrendering their life to you. Let them know that their sins have been forgiven and cleansed. Thank you that you're making them a home in heaven. You're giving us the power and perspective to live according to your will. And God, just at the outset of the series, we believe these things these verses so clear this is the will of God for us and we pray over our time together and the other weeks of his teaching it's in Jesus name we pray amen thanks for joining us today we would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times small group information and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth